0: The real question for us today, I think, is not so much what did Mary know, but what do we know? What do you and I know? Did you know not only that he was born in Bethlehem in a manger, born of a virgin, announced by angels, visited by shepherds and wise men? But did you know that within a few months he with his mother and father, earthly father Joseph, would be forced to go to Egypt to escape a horrible, evil ruler named Herod who wanted to kill him. Jesus became a displaced person, a refugee. You see the tragic pictures on television occasionally from the people who are being forced out of their home because of evil governments, because of racial or religious tensions, hostilities. You see these people, refugees, homeless. Jesus was like that. He was in a crowd like that. He understands being uprooted. Went to Egypt, lived there for a short while, and then following the death of Herod, the man who wanted to kill him, God sent word to the little family that they were to go back now to Nazareth. Did you know that Jesus lived in Nazareth? He grew up there. Jesus went to school there. And when Jesus came as the Son of God, the Bible tells us he laid aside those divine attributes. And the only capacity that he had was the capacity to resist sin at a level that you and I do not have. He never sinned. But he had to learn to walk. had to learn to talk. Had to learn to read and write. Had to learn table manners. Had to learn how to get along with children in school. How to work with his father Joseph around the carpenter shop. How much did Jesus know Well, it's a big theological question that books have been written about, but we're told that he emptied himself, Paul says. He laid aside all of the divine attributes of omnipotence and omniscience and omnipresent and became like us, and he lived like you and I are to live. He is our pattern and also as our power to do so, to live by faith. He lived totally, completely by faith. The Bible says he grew. He grew in wisdom. In other words, he had to learn, just like every child has to learn. He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. That is, he grew physically. He went through all the physical changes that a child goes through, that a young man goes through. Grew in stature. He grew in relationship to man. He grew in relationship to his family, to his friends to the children he played with in the street, the children he went to school with, the children he went to synagogue with. He had to learn about interpersonal relationships. He had buddies, had friends, played games together, spent the night together at each other's home. He grew in relationship to people and to God. He grew in relationship to God by going to Hebrew school. He had to learn how to speak Hebrew, to read it, to write it. He who spoke the worlds into existence had to learn how to read and write. He humbled himself. He willingly took upon him our form, our essence as a man, as a person, He learned. He prayed a lot because he knew down deep inside that something special belonged to him and that he belonged to someone special. We get an early hint of this at 12 years of age when this divine consciousness apparently was beginning to grow within him When his mother and father came back to find him after they left him in the temple and they couldn't find him and they were troubled and distressed and they came back and they found him and they said, didn't you know your father and I have been worried about you, distressed, where you were? And he said this, he said, didn't you know that I need to be about my father's business? He was talking about his heavenly father there. His earthly father, Joseph, was standing there. He was saying to himself, reminding himself and them that he had a higher calling. Another father. Went back from 12 years of age until 30, worked in a carpenter shop. Now, do you imagine Jesus got impatient as this consciousness of his divine nature and of his reason for existence and the fact that he was to be the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, that he was to be the Savior of the world, that he was in fact the Son of God. He became, he knew that, that was a conscious realization of his. It was confirmed in prayer, confirmed in the Holy Spirit, confirmed in the study of the Scriptures. He knew that, and yet here he was working at a carpenter's bench in an obscure town called Nazareth until he was 30 years of age. Do you not think he got impatient? Maybe at times during the day, Maybe at times of devotion, he would say, Father, is today the day? Am I to begin our ministry today? Not yet. Back to the carpenter's bench. John the Baptist started preaching down in Judea Great crowds began to hear him and the word drifted back to Nazareth up in the north. And that was a sign to Jesus. He's the forerunner. He's the messianic forerunner. The hour has struck. The fullness of time had come. Mary noticed it, I believe. She knew him she watched him. She could read his face. She noticed that he was spending more and more time alone, walking the hills late at night. And then she noticed one day he seemed to put up his tools in a way that had a note of finality about it. Cleaned up the carpenter's shop put everything in order and closed the door, she noticed in a way that seemed to indicate he was closing the door to more than the carpenter's shop. And said to her, I think I'll take a walk. And he left late in the afternoon. She knew he would not be back until morning. so she prepared a little lunch for him to take. Got some pita bread. Made him something to eat. Wrapped it in a little napkin. He came in early in the morning and had a different look in his eye. Peace on his face, but a fire in his eye. She knew. He fixed she'd fixed him a good breakfast, but a few words passed between them. She was watching him closely. When he finished, she gave him a little packet of sandwiches. He got up and walked to the door and she followed him, and he put his arms around her and kissed her on the forehead. And said, I'll be seeing you, Mother. He turned and walked down the road, down the hill, turned south to Judea. The time had come. Did you know that? Know that. He went down and said to John the Baptist, his kinsman, John, baptize me. John said, oh, no, I'm not even worthy to touch your shoes. Yes, John, you do it. It fulfills the purposes of God. Well, why was he baptized? He never sinned. He never needed to repent. Why did he baptize? Why was he baptized? He was baptized to further identify himself with us sinners. He didn't have to be baptized. He was baptized to identify himself with us publicly so that when we are baptized, we identify ourselves with him publicly. It's not the water that changes us. It's the relationship. The coming togetherness, that changes us. And from that moment, for 40 days and 40 nights, he was driven into the wilderness and was tempted. The Bible says, in every way that you and I are tempted, for 40 days and 40 nights, tempted. Did you know that? Did you know that every temptation you have, Jesus has had, and resisted with the power of prayer, and the power of the spirit of god within him the power of faith he resisted for 40 days and 40 nights oh i believe jesus could have sinned he could have succumbed if he were incapable of sinning the temptation was a was a fraud was a was an act was hypocrisy and one thing God is not is a hypocrite. this was real. He was tempted and resisted victorious. The temptations did not end with the 40 days it continued all through his ministry different ways, different places, different people but it recurred and he continued. It resisted. And then did you know that he went about doing good? Did you know he went about telling people that God loved them? Did you know he went about telling people that God loved everybody? It was this word all on his lips that endears him so to us. Whosoever will may come, I've not come to call those folks who think they're righteous. I've come to call sinners, all of us. I've come for you. Not just Jew, but Gentile. Whatever nation, whatever race, whatever language, whatever color. He's the inclusive Christ. He is the universal Savior. And he went around telling everybody, God loves you. He opened blind eyes and deaf ears and made... Twisted limbs to walk and raise dead bodies as a sign of his divine power. Do you know that? Jesus loved every one of us and loves every one of us. They accused him of being a friend of sinners. That was meant to be a criticism, a sarcastic criticism of Jesus. He's a friend of sinners what they intended as a criticism became the brightest jewel in his crown. No greater eulogy could be pronounced about Jesus than to say he's the friend of sinners. That includes me and you and all of us in this room and everybody on this planet. He went about lifting burdens He said, all of you who are burdened and are heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you some peace and rest. Does that word resonate with your heart in this busy season? About 99% of us in this room are tired. He got tired. He understands that and he invites us who are busy and burdened and baffled men and women to come to him. He'll help us. Did you know that? Did you know that because of his inclusive love for everybody, he was hated by some, and they precipitated his crucifixion? Did you know that he died as a sinless man for sinful men? Put him on a cross and killed him. He died for you. Didn't die for all of us. Died for each one of us. Died just for you. You know that? That's how much he loves you. That's how important you are to him. That's how valuable you are to him. He died for you. Loving hands took him down from the cross, placed him in a borrowed tomb, rolled a stone against it. He was dead. And on the third day, God rolled away the stone, and Jesus walked out into the sunlight of a resurrection morning that brought the trumpet sound of life to the whole world. He was raised from the dead by the power of God. Do you know that? Do you know that Christianity is not built on a coffin lid? Christianity is built upon an empty cross and an empty tomb and a living Savior. Did you know that? Did you know that he appeared... 11 different times to hundreds of different people. Appeared to his disciples, appeared to some of them individually, like Peter. Like the two of them on the road to Emmaus, he appeared to over 500 people at one time. Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to people. Did you know that? There's physical evidence. People saw him, ate with him, touched him, More people saw the resurrected Christ than witnessed the signing of the Declaration of Independence. It's a historical fact, irrefutable, indisputable. Do you know that? Jesus rose from the dead. And then did you know that one day he walked out to the Mount of Olives with his disciples? They didn't know what was coming. You read about it in the first chapter of Acts. They were walking along and they, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, are you going at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, here's a very important passage of Scripture with three great lessons in it for us. I'll touch on them just briefly. I hope you'll turn them over in your mind. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed in his own authority. It's not for you to know when I'm going to set up an earthly kingdom. In fact, in another passage of Scripture, he said, when asked this question, he said, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven know. And he said, I don't know. He doesn't know. Why do some people feel they know more than Jesus knows? And hundreds of books are written and thousands sold trying to pick out the time when Jesus is coming back, if not the exact day, then a period of time. Jesus has already told us that's none of our business. Don't waste your time reading that because none of them will be right because none of them know. No one knows when he's coming back. I don't care when he comes back and I don't care what he does when he comes back. If he's here for a day, if he's here for a thousand years or 10,000 years, I don't care. I want you to know that whatever... He feels his best is okay with me. I am not on the program committee. (laughs) I am on the preparation committee. I'm trying to get people ready for the time when he comes because, listen, he is coming back. More certain than tomorrow's sunrise. Maybe before tomorrow's sunrise. He's coming back. Don't let your heart be troubled, he said to his disciples. You believe in God, believe also in me. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You can count on that. The important thing is not to try to figure out what time he's coming back. The important thing for us to figure out is where, whether or not we're ready for his coming back. Do you know that? Do you know you're ready? If he comes within the next 30 minutes, are you ready? Be ready, he said. We know not the day nor the hour. And then he said, here's what you're to do. Here's the second important word he made. You know what you're to be interested in? You're not to be interested in when I'm coming back to the world. What you're to be interested in is getting my message out to the world. You're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you been filled with his Spirit? Do you know the power of the Holy Spirit within your own life? You know that he wants to fill you and bless you and strengthen you and give you joy and give you the capacity to be a witness to others. That's what he is saying. Don't be concerned about when I'm coming back. Be concerned about your going out. You're sharing with the world filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's a second critical thing for us to do, be filled with that Spirit, and we can be. How can we be? Just ask. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give my spirit to them that what? Ask him. You want something for Christmas? Ask God for his Holy Spirit. He will fill you and bless you with love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And then he ascended. The disciples are standing there looking around. And two men standing beside them in white apparel said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now that's the key. Here's the important thing about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The most important thing about it, it is he he is going to come personally. This same Jesus. Not some substitute. Not one like him. The one with nail prints in his hands and a spear wound in his side. That's the one that's going to show up. He's coming. This Same Jesus. Going to come in like manner. How did he come? How did he leave? He left personally. How is he coming? He's coming personally. How did he leave? He left suddenly. How is he coming? He's coming suddenly. How did he leave? He left in the company of his followers. How is he coming? In the company of his followers. He is coming with his own and for his own. Paul elaborates in 1 Thessalonians, writing to the church at Thessalonica, a town in Greece. These people were dying, some were being killed, and they were distressed over death, and Paul wrote them these comforting words. He said, now listen, I paraphrase this. I don't want you to be uninformed, he said, about those who have gone to be with the Lord. That you do not sorrow as others who have no hope for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so them which have fallen asleep in Jesus which is a picture of a body asleep but the soul alive and well and at work with Jesus for the moment we die we do not go into some anteroom. we do not go into some waiting room until the Lord comes back we go instantaneously immediately into the presence of the Lord even as Stephen before he left this earth looked up and saw the Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. We go immediately into the presence of the Lord, even as Moses and Elijah did, who met with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in physical forms recognizable by the disciples. We go immediately to be with the Lord. Funerals conducted yesterday by myself and other members of our staff, those people are today with the Lord. They're not waiting somewhere. They're not in some anteroom. They're present with the Lord. Their bodies have taken upon them the form of sleep, the appearance of sleep, but their souls are alive and well, more alive and more well than they have ever been in their entire life in the presence of the Lord. Don't worry about that. They're there, and we're going to meet again, and this is the great word I'm coming to. 16th verse, for the Lord himself, I like that. He emphasizes it, redundancy. The Lord himself, not just the Lord, but the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. They'll appear first. And those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You know what I, what I believe from reading this? That word together just jumps out at me and the sequence of this says something to me. This is not my own private interpretation although I believe it and hold to it. You know what I believe is going to happen? Don't know how it's going to happen but you know what I think it's going to happen? When the Lord comes back all of our loved ones who preceded us to the Father's house who are already there We're going to have new bodies, and they're going to come with him. He's going to come with his people that are already there. And those of us who remain shall be caught up, Paul says, together with them. You know what's going to happen? I believe we're going to be caught up together with our loved ones before we meet the Lord himself. That's just like Jesus to me. He knows how eager we are to meet our loved ones. He knows we want to see each other, hug each other. And so he's going to kind of stand aside and let us meet together. You know, when something wonderful happens to you, you want people that you love to be with you, don't you? you? You come back from some great experience and you say, oh, I wish you could have been there. I wish you could have been there. I remember going to the Louvre in Paris for the first time, knowing how much my mother loved art, and she was an artist and painted how she would have loved to have been there and seen that, never got to go there. I got to go there, and I stood there thinking, oh, I'd give anything if my mother were here. She could help me understand this art better. But she was not there. I was there, but I wished for her. Well, I believe the Lord knows that instinct within us to want to share things with people that we know and love. I think when the Lord starts back, the first thing that's going to happen is going to be this great entourage this great forward company of the Lord, his people coming, and we're going to meet them in the heavens. We're going to be caught up together with them. I'm going to see my mother and dad. I'm going to see Beryl and Charlie. I'm going to see my grandparents. Martha's mother is going to come running to greet us. Awan, her dad, dad, her her grandmother and grandfather, our little baby that died at birth. We'll see. And we're all going to start hugging each other. And I'm going to say, Mother, I want you to meet Avery and Julia and Megan and Michael. And Mother, say, Buckner, you know the Bible. We've been watching you all along. We've been seated, as the book of Hebrews says, in that great balcony, encompassing about you as a great cloud of witnesses. We've been pulling for you. We've been watching you. We know you. We know you. We'll all hug each other and greet each other. And they're going to say, listen, Buckner and Martha, you've never seen anything like it. You've never seen it. It's just indescribable. It's incomprehensible. But you haven't seen anything yet. Wait till you see him. The fairest of 10,000 the bright morning star, the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon, the Lamb of God, the baby of Bethlehem. We're going to see him. And there he is. There he is. John tells us in the Revelation, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The manger Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and all the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 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 Do you know that day's coming? Every one of us in this room have one more move to make, at least one. Martha and I are planning to live in our little house until we move to the Father's house, God willing. But we still have one more move to make, and so do you. Every one of us has one more change of address, and you determine what that will be by what you do with Jesus. Do you know that? Do you know that? Let me say to you in closing if you want to meet the King. In the mansions of heaven you must first meet the baby in the manger in Bethlehem. That's first. If you want to meet the great creator who fashioned the universe you must first meet the carpenter, who built tables and chairs in Nazareth. If you want to meet the great judge and have your sins pardoned, you must first meet Jesus, who died for your sins. Jesus is the only passport to heaven. Do you know that? If not accept him today, if not trust him now, if not believe on him this moment and come to him by faith, come to trust him as Lord and Savior, as a number did in the early service come to be a part of this church if God is so impressing you and leading you wherever you're coming from you're welcome here or maybe you want to come as some did in the early service just to kneel and pray thank him for what he's done had he not come here we would never make it there never you want to thank him to come and read do so. You don't have to say anything to me. Much more important than you say something to him. If you'd like to do it on your knees here in prayer, please do so. It's the Lord's invitation. For we shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save us from our sins.